the Sermon on the Mount? So I did. And I was a youth pastor. I was 22, 3, I don't know where I was. I was a kid. And so I, I said, oh, here's what we're going to do, guys. Let's we'll start preaching through the Sermon on the Mount. We did, and it was great. Beatitudes, yay, salt and light. Yay, yay, yay. Don't forget to go in your schools, be salt and light. Oh, this is all, this is good. Tick, tick, tick. This is a win. And then we got to this portion on a Sunday, and I just skipped it. <laughs> and you think I'm kidding. I was like, you know, and you've heard that it was said, and now to oaths. Nobody noticed. All right. Wow. That's good. Okay. They're just kids anyway, so hey, you know, I don't have to worry about it. But, you know, I was, I was scared to preach this topic. Not because I was scared what people would think of me per se, but I am fully aware that this is a very difficult and sensitive subject. There can be few of us in this room this morning who have not been touched by some way by divorce. Perhaps you've, you're here today and, and you're someone that has been divorced or maybe someone very close to you, like a brother or a sister, has walked through a divorce recently and, and you've been there with them through the pain and the agony of all of that. We're all too aware of the hurts that divorce can cause. Often, divorce is a painful and messy process. There's a financial cost to it, as well as an emotional cost of one family becoming two. I mean, the scars of divorce usually run deep and often last a long time, sometimes five, 10, 15 years down the track family celebrations can still be awkward when mom and dad can't even be in the same room together, when you've got all these now different new spouses and everyone's let's all smile and just eat pavlova. But it's awkward, right? Because it's hurtful. Honestly, often the only real winners in divorce are the lawyers. Now, with all that to say, it might be helpful just to note a few things hopefully sort of take the tension out of the room a little bit, okay? First thing I want to say is that divorce is not the unforgivable sin, okay? Divorce is not, it is a sin, but God's grace is greater than all our sin, okay? So let's get that out of the way. Second, I am not naive enough to think that a 30-minute sermon is going to answer all of your questions about divorce and remarriage and what all of that looks like. So what I hope is that we can do is look at this text together, think about some of these items, and we'll continue conversations in the future. But I'm not naive to think a 30-minute sermon is just going to answer every one of your questions. Thirdly, which is related to that, um, I don't want to give simply a topical sermon on divorce. There's actually five different, and, and marriage, there's actually five different passages um, in the canon of Scripture in the Old and New Testament that talk about divorce. And so I can't, in a 30-minute or 40-minute, hopefully it won't go longer than 40, but I can't, I can't hit all of those things within their context. It's, it's impossible for me to do. So there, it might be appropriate, it might be appropriate at some point to actually 
have all of us pull all these verses together systematically and ask what the whole Bible teaches about this given topic. That might be helpful to do on a Sunday. But remember, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, right? We are looking and studying Jesus' words within the Sermon on the Mount. So I think it'd be best to narrow our attention to Matthew 5 and then consider what Jesus has to say throughout the Gospel of Matthew itself relating to marriage and divorce. So here's where we're going with that said. Two questions, two questions. Number one, what is Jesus' view of marriage and divorce? And number two, is divorce ever permitted for a Christian? That's where we're headed. I've appreciated your prayers as I have studied until my eyes have bled this week. Okay. Actually, and just to encourage you, a lot of my friends back in the other, this other country called Queensland have been, um, they've been uh, friends of my church that I was at in, in Brisbane. They, they said, hey, brother, we're, I got some, a lot of texts this morning. We're praying for you. We're praying for your church. Because what I hope that this... Look, my goal, I know this is a sensitive topic, but I didn't choose to put it in the Sermon on the Mount, so don't blame me, first of all, okay? And, but I think it's helpful, and Jesus does have something to say about, this is a real-life scenario, right? I know that this, when, I, when I, um, I saw, I don't want to get distracted here, but I saw uh, the Shaws yesterday, and, and they said, oh, what are you preaching on tomorrow? I said, oh, just some irrelevant passage that, just about marriage and divorce. And they were like, really? I was like, no, I'm joking. And Peter had some funnier comment to say back to me or something. But um, it's massive and it's relevant. It's everywhere, correct? We, we know that. And so my hope, my prayer is that we, yes, we'd see what the Bible says about it, but we wouldn't see this in a way that's scary or guilt-inducing, but we'd see it in a way that's balanced with both grace and truth. That's what I've been praying for you guys this week. Okay, so there's, no, there's not gonna be any breathing fire this morning and yelling and screaming or any of that kind of stuff, okay? But, the, I, but, but I also think there's gonna be some challenge. And my prayer is that our hearts would be receptive to that. So why don't we pray? Lord, this is a massive topic and you weren't unaware of it even in your own day. And so Jesus, would you speak now Remind us again that you are the creator of marriage. Remind us that you are a gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And Lord, even if we sinned in this area, that your mercy is more. So Lord, would you help us to stay focused this morning? Help our minds as we talk about marriage and divorce not to track into distracted thoughts or justifications or begin to be really thinking about situations that we can't change that happened 15, 20 odd years ago. But Lord, help us to see the here and the now and to honor you with our thinking, to honor you with our marriages or our singleness or whatever that might be. Lord, would you meet every person here where they're at? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the first question is, what is Jesus' view of marriage and divorce? And to answer that, we need to keep in mind, remember we're in the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus goes to the interior. Do you remember that? 
Remember, Jesus had been contrasting external righteousness with internal righteousness. In the Sermon on the Mount, we see a widening and deepening of the law which points to the inner person. The focus is on the heart, right? That's verse 20. Do you remember that of chapter 5? Your righteousness must go far beyond, far surpass the scribes and Pharisees. What kind of righteousness is that? Trying to beat the scribes and Pharisees at their own game? No, it's, it's a heart righteousness, an internal type of righteousness. And that's why Jesus says, right, he starts by quoting something of old. You've heard that it was said. That's the, that's, that's the shape of these sort of six uh, as you were six, some people call them antitheses, uh, six ideas of heart righteousness, however you want to say that, where he says, you've heard that it was said, but let me give you what it truly means. What I say to you is this heart righteousness. The shape is here as well. It, we just had it read for us. You did a great job reading that. But he says, you've heard that it was said, and he draws back to Deuteronomy 24. But, but I say to you, Look at verse 31. That's where our passage is today. Verse 31, Jesus says, It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Remember the Pharisaic mind. What does the Pharisaic mind do? They looked for loopholes, right? Well, What's the bare minimum that I can do here? And here's what I'd like to do. Jesus is referencing Deuteronomy 24, so I know this sounds strange. Put yourself in the shoes or the thongs or the robe of a Pharisee for a moment. I'm going to post up here Deuteronomy 24. I'm going to read it. See if you can find some loopholes with it. See if you can find some ambiguity with it, because that's what's going on. I'm going to explain in a moment. That's what's happening in Jesus' day. So Deuteronomy 24, it'll come up here, up on the PowerPoint. Ready? Deuteronomy 24 says this. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house. And if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, then her former husband, who sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife, after she has been defiled, so that it is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Now that's a quite a complicated passage. Nevertheless, this text shouldn't be construed as some kind of endorsement to divorce your spouse. No, 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 no. Moses put it here in order to mitigate what was already occurring. Do you know what I mean by that? Um, this is not a manual, sort of the 101 on how to divorce your spouse, encouraged by, you know, Mo and his boys. No, no, no. Law can be recorded in different ways. We have this here in Australia. Some law is given as legis legislation. We know that, right? It's a list of rules that need to be followed. Don't speed in school zones. 
don't do this, whatever it might be. That's legislation, correct? Other laws given by describing a situation and telling you what is the right thing to do when something happens, that's called case law. So you have legislation and case law. In Deuteronomy 24, this is a case law. Does that make sense? So it's pretty clear that the thrust in Deuteronomy 24 is describing a situation, not prescribing a situation. It's, not, it's, it's saying this has already happened. Now, here is some case law for you. But you see, the Pharisees emphasized that a man had the right to divorce his wife for any reason. Just think back to the phrase. It's there on the PowerPoint. Some indecency in her. What does that mean? Well, some people would follow a liberal school of thought, right? And they say, oh, we like Rabbi Hillel. Rabbi Hillel, he says that you can divorce your wife if she, and this is terrible, it, for whatever reason, essentially, and if your wife, um, well, if she's not producing children. She hasn't found favor in your eyes. Another wife could, so you should probably dump her and get another wife. Or how about if your wife has not found favor in your eyes, she's just not what she looked like when she was 21. Right? That's, that's disturbing, right? That's, that's terrible. Or, if she bur burns your toast during morning tea, send her packing. But honestly, they would say, if, if you want, you know, the, the only thing that Rabbi Hillel would be good for is a judge on MasterChef, right? You know, if, oh, this, this food's it's undercooked or it's overcooked or whatever. But that's one school of thought. Now, there's this vast gulf between these two schools. That's sort of the liberal school, as it were, that's on the left. Now, the other school is following Rabbi Shammai, which Rabbi Shammai says the only reason that you should get a divorce is marital unfaithfulness, sexual immorality. It's um, because the, the Hebrew there, finding some indecency in her, has the idea of nakedness and a shame of a thing. Okay, so that there's been some kind of sexual immorality that's occurred. So Rabbi Shammai says that is grounds for divorce. But what's interesting though is Jesus and we're going to see this in a moment here in Matthew 19, Jesus actually, I would say, takes it over the top of both of these two schools of thought. Because we're going to see in just a moment, the Pharisees try to pigeonhole him into one camp or the other. He pushes both of those aside. He takes it even further, this heart righteousness. We'll get there in just a moment. So, the popular view in Jesus' day was the Hillel view. In fact, how many of you have heard of the famous Josephus before? Jo Josephus is a famous Jewish historian who lived during this time. He held to the Hillel view. Listen what he says. Quote, At this time, I sent away my wife, being displeased with her behavior. Then I took a woman from Crete. Rat bag. In Deuteronomy 24, he comments on Deuteronomy 24, and he says this, the man who wishes to be divorced from his wife for whatever cause, did you hear that there? 
for whatever cause. And among people, many such may arise. Parenthesis add, you hear that? And there's a lot of reasons for it. Must certify it in writing. So it's interesting because this, this is the air that Jesus is breathing. This is the Hillel view. Josephus is living during this time. And do you hear, do you hear how he interpreted Deuteronomy 24? You know, look, if for whatever reason, send away, but make sure you do it with certificate of divorce now. Do the right thing. It'll be all good. Isn't it ironic when Jesus cuts to the heart here, he says, quotes Deuteronomy 24, right? Paraphrases it, and he says, you've heard that it was said, whoever had overs wife, let him send her a certificate of divorce. Hmm, that sounds familiar. Jesus says, but I say to you, look at, look at, look what he says. It's also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual morality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. You see, divorce policies and practices in Jesus' time was very, very loose. And so the religious leaders of the day had a crack at explaining how, here's how you get a divorce. However, like we've seen in previous weeks, they misunderstood what the Old Testament was saying because they were only interested in the minimum requirements. Oh, you want to get a divorce, do you? Well, just make sure, you know, do the right thing now. Just give her that certificate. But Jesus shows up and gives to his disciples an authoritative explanation of how they are to understand marriage and divorce. Interesting in this passage here, this verse is fairly complicated. There's four different parts to it, four clauses. I want to kind of pick it apart here for a moment. It'll come up here on the PowerPoint. So notice he says, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. Now, in the middle is the exception clause. And again, let's simplify things by leaving out the exception. So go to the next PowerPoint slide and we'll see this. Now, we can clearly see that the main thrust of what Jesus is saying here. Do you see that? I took out the exception clause. We'll get to that in a moment. Don't worry, I'm not gonna pass that over. But let's just see the thrust of it. What does it say? But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife makes her commit adultery. Wow! Do you feel the weight of what Jesus is saying here? The religious leaders of Israel taught that to divorce your wife, you give her a certificate of divorce and send her away. Done and dusted, right? End of story. But Jesus says that it's not the end of the story. If a man divorces his wife for whatever reason, then he makes her commit adultery. The reason is that she would either quickly have to get married again or, what was likely the case, she would turn to prostitution to support herself. Different time and different age, friends. Jesus says that adultery isn't just something you commit in the flesh or in the mind, but also something that you can be responsible for making someone else commit through divorce. Divorce is a very serious matter that will lead to sin. It's not all over with a certificate being handed to somebody. 
Okay, turn with me to Matthew 19 because we get one more look here at, and there's some similar parallels because we get another opportunity to understand the heart of Jesus' teaching on marriage and divorce. And I want you to notice in this passage, I want you to see with your own eyes here how the Pharisees were preoccupied with the issue of the grounds of divorce. But Jesus was preoccupied with the institution of marriage itself. The Pharisees were searching for loopholes, but Jesus was getting to the heart of what marriage is meant to be, what the Lord intended for marriage. Notice in Matthew 19. Now, when Jesus had finished finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife? Notice the words. For what? For any, because what does that sound like? What school? Hillel, right? Sounds a lot like it. And notice there, it says there in the text that they're testing him. John the Baptist's ministry had recently ended because he had criticized Herod for divorcing his wife and marrying his half-brother's wife, Herodias. If there's a way to catch Jesus, then it's to ask him about adultery, right? And marriage. So here they are. They ask him, is it lawful to divorce your wife for any reason? Instead of answering their question, what does Jesus do? He points to the institution of marriage, to Genesis 2. Pick up with me in verse 4. He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Did you see how Jesus' reply goes beyond the legal squabbles and how he insists, how he shifts the focus from Deuteronomy 24 to a set of even earlier passages beyond Deuteronomy 24? When you think about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, did you notice that there? He doesn't get involved in their sort of, uh, you know, jargon. No, 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 no. Takes us right back to creation itself, showing God's purpose and making us male and female and creating the institution of marriage. And then in verse six, he offers this commentary on it. Okay, he quotes Genesis and now he offers the commentary of which we hear at, very, at a lot of wedding ceremonies. What God has joined together, what? Let man not separate, right? It's actually inside of my ring right there. So anyway, <laughs> kind of cool. You can't see that. So. But that was April's idea, so she gets the credit for it. She put it in there. So. Look at verse six. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. Now look at this question. It's a fair question in verse seven. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? It's a fair question, right? But who could answer this? Who could answer that question? Because they've already had two Schools, it's not clear enough, right? Look, this is a bit of an aside, but even today, Christians argue over things that aren't very clear. Okay? The things that are clear, 
Not usually a whole lot of argument there. But even in this time, it, you're looking at Deuteronomy 24 and it says, well, found favor in an eyes could mean this, could mean that, could mean this. And so they're arguing over these things and say, so then why did Moses say that in Deuteronomy 24? Notice though, no one could answer that unless he knows the mind of God. You see, they invited Jesus into a legal debate and he says that the Lord's plan from the beginning was no divorce. Divorce was not the original blueprint. Do you see that in verse eight? See the language there? From the beginning, look at verse eight. He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it was not so. You see that there? The first marriage in the Bible, and indeed in the world, was between the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, in the Garden of Eden. Marriage is something that God built into the very fabric of his creation before the world was affected by sin. God designed marriage to be a profound and mysterious relationship between two compatible human beings created in his image. It's a beautiful thing. Genesis 2, 24 or 23 and 24, listen. Then the man said, this is at last bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. In marriage, a man and a woman leave their parents and come together to form a new family. This union is so tight that they're no longer two but one. Something that it's reflected in their physical sexual union. This very special relationship that is established in the first chapters of the Bible was designed by God to be for life. For life. One man and one woman joined together for life. Yet the Pharisees seemed to have missed this. They were so keen to find loopholes for divorce. All right, so far, we've looked at what the religious leaders in Jesus' day were teaching about divorce, and we've seen Jesus' maximum application of what the Old Testament says, right? Well, not really. We haven't dealt with the exception clause. It comes in verse 9. Look at verse 9. And I say to you that whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. Now, both Mark and Luke don't record that exception clause in their Gospels. When Paul talks about marriage and divorce, he doesn't include the exception clause. It's only here and in the Sermon on the Mount. Quite interesting, isn't it? Now, just because this phrase is only found in Matthew, it's still there staring at us in the face. At least that's how I feel when I read the Bible. So it needs to be addressed. And as thinking Christians, I don't believe we have the freedom to push this exception clause aside simply because it's only given once or twice in the scriptures. The exception clause is there and we must deal with it. So let's 
go back now to our passage in the Sermon on the Mount. I'll read again. It's a short passage, so I can read it. 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. We've seen the first point of Jesus' view of marriage between one man and one woman for life. But there is, but a question is though, to our second point, is there ever a circumstance then that divorce is permissible or okay? Now it's, it's probably too soft to say that, to say it's okay, oh, it's okay. But it seems like, okay, well how would you say that then? Is, is divorce ever permitted? Is it, is it ever feasible? Is there ever, ever an option for a Christian? It seems like there's one at least here in Matthew. And that's where we get sexual immorality. Sexual unfaithfulness, as it were. Uh, the word that's used here is pornea, or pornea, which is where we get the word pornographic from. Pornea has a very wide meaning, though. It's a broad term that covers everything from prostitution, bestiality, incest, homosexuality, and other sexual sins. In the context here, it would seem to be any illicit sexual activity. And this sexual immorality violates the one flesh union it can destroy the marital bond. It strikes so closely at what marriage is that it can be a legitimate reason for ending a marriage. But notice carefully, notice carefully, I've got everyone's attention now anyways. Notice carefully, Jesus does not command divorce, he only permitted it. Did you see that there? And so we need to hear what this passage is saying. If there is divorce for any reason other than adultery, then you cause your spouse to sin unless he or she has already committed sexual immorality. In that case, the wife has already committed sin or the husband, and so the husband isn't responsible for causing her to commit sexual sin if he divorces her. But again, let me make this as clear as I possibly can, friends. Adultery does not spell the end of a marriage instantly. In the Shammai, right, Rabbi Shammai position, that was like, all right, done. No question, it's just automatic, knee-jerk. That's not the case, though. Jesus permitted rather than required divorce in the case of adultery. Jesus permitted rather than required divorce in the case of adultery. If you discover that your spouse is having an affair, that doesn't give you an immediate wholesale license to go out and get a divorce. Your marriage friend can still, by the grace of God, be restored. A Christian wife can seek to forgive her husband because Christ has forgiven her. It's by fighting to save the marriage and ex exercising repentance and forgiveness that the full extent of the gospel can be displayed to the world that's watching us. Regardless, how you understand this exception clause here in Matthew, 
The one thing Jesus certainly isn't doing is encouraging divorce. Too often, we allow the exception to become the rule. You know what I mean by that? When I was a youth pastor, kids used to ask me, how far is too far? It's the wrong question. Proper question should be, how can I honor God with my body? We tend to blur lines. So too often, we allow the exception to become the rule, and the irony is, the irony is, in a message that's inherently anti-Pharisaic, there's a problem if our discussion focuses on what we can get away with. The whole point of the Sermon on the Mount is that it's not meant to be a race down to the lowest common denominator. Jesus is calling his disciples to a heart type of righteousness. His disciples aren't meant to live as, they're, they're not meant as the world, but as salt and light to a watching world. And that's going to be reflected in the way we work out our marriages. I remember, as, uh, keep talking about being a youth pastor, but I remember there was one gal who's awesome and she has a good marriage and she has kids and her name is Daisy and this is in Hawaii and I remember she was like, you know, my poster child of, you know, the youth group. Like, right, if everyone else, you know, if everything else bombs, I've got, you know, I, at least I did something right because look at Daisy, you know. And I remember, she'd be so embarrassed if she heard me say that, but I remember chatting with her when she graduated and I was sending her off to uni and I said, wow, Daisy, you know, what's, what's just three things you've, you've learned? And I'm like, all right, you know, come on. Tell me all, yeah, you remember that sermon, right? You know, and, and she said, oh, I, I mean, I'm, there's probably a lot of things, but the one thing that I noticed more than anything else, the one thing I learned the most was actually just watching you in April and your marriage. And I'm like, that's it. I mean, that's just like, cause, and, and in her life, she had felt just like a lot of, many of us have with her parents being divorced and new families and everything else. And again, April and I married her were far from perfect. But I just remember thinking, wow, that was the watching world looking, saying, okay, that's what marriage could be. And this was Daisy. Friends, if you're a believer and you're married now, the world's watching you. Dr. Phil and Oprah stuff get really old. It's the same stuff. It's, it's just a tautology said with different clothes on. The world's redefining. In Australia, we've done in the last year, we've redefined marriage, what we believe marriage should be according to our own subjective feelings. But the world's watching and saying, what is a bona fide marriage? What should that look like? And we're to be salt and light in that regard. Now, at this point, I need to say something about abuse. It's crazy that Jesus doesn't give any specific direction about abuse. I mean, if there was any exception Jesus was going to give, I'd expect him to say that divorce is okay if there's abuse. Yet he doesn't. However, I think that we can confidently say that if a spouse... It's usually, but not always, the wife is in a physical danger. Then there are grounds for separation, at least for a period of time. Separation is a big deal, and so we should only go down that line very carefully. 
But listen, if you think you are in danger, we as your brothers and sisters in Christ will do anything that we can day or night to help you and support you. And you need to get out, especially if you have children, in a dangerous situation and call the police and the authorities. And we as your brothers and sisters in Christ will come around you. Lastly, I know that was just like a grenade and talk more about it. I said, I can't hit it all. But I'd love to have coffee with a lot of you and talk more about this. And I, and I have droves of articles that I've read up, down, left, right, and center and everything else. I'd love to pass on to you guys. But lastly, as we close, I just want to address five different groups and every one of you is in one of these groups. I want to address the divorced, the separated, the married, the singles, and all of us here who form this church body. So that's everyone in this room. Let's start with the divorced. If you've been divorced, and if it wasn't biblical, then you need to repent of that before God. But as we've already been saying, though, that God is a gracious, compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. That if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old is gone, the new has come. And listen, friends. All of history is heading to a new heavens, a new earth. You've, you've, I've talked with many of you. And I've heard the hurt that you've experienced in your marriage. But listen, in the new heavens and new earth, the Lord will wipe away every tear. There'll be no more pain, no more disease, no more divorce, no more sin, praise God. <laughs> All of history is moving that direction. That's what gets me up in the morning, I'm not gonna lie. And you feel like, ah, oh, I just, I need to be reminded of that. I remember Ross said several months ago, you know, when someone gives you a spoil alert, it's really annoying, right? For a movie. But we have the best, we need to have that spoil alert. That all history is moving towards the new heavens and new earth. And you're not gonna be like walking around there going, kind of with your head hanging down going, yeah, I don't, I, uh, hi everyone, my name's Rob. Oh, hi Rob, I've, I've been divorced. Oh, Rob, that's not, that, that's not the case. We'll be with God's presence, worshiping him forever. You're clothed with the righteousness of Jesus, friend. You shine like the sun. There's not gonna be these categories of divorced and singles and everyone in between. It's God's people worshiping the Lord forever. Amen. So if you're divorced, that's the encouragement I give to you. Now, I wanna to talk to the separated. If you're separated, meaning you're not divorced yet, then seek to be reconciled to your spouse. You need to do everything in your power to restore that relationship. And I'm, I'm not gonna lie, there will be hard days ahead, but with the help of God's spirit, it is possible. And know this, you're not alone. This is a body, we are a family of, we are the family of God here. We are the church of Christ. We are here to help you and support you. This is the
best place for healing, friends. Lean in on your brothers and sisters here. But it's not over yet, and it doesn't have to be. Now, if you're married, then you need to work hard at your marriage. Grow it, build it, and live as if divorce is not a real option. When April and I were getting counsel before we got married, we were engaged and we were going to get married a couple months later, one of the pastors said to us, you need to be in a competition who can outserve the other one. I thought that's a really good way of putting it. Um, particularly because, um, I, well, I think April's probably winning now. <laughs> but um, I thought, yeah, that, that's a good, it gets a good framework, doesn't it? And, and now, again, don't misread that like, oh, well, I'm going to start tallying it up and yeah, she's losing care. You know, come on. <laughs> don't take that literally. <laughs> Clearly, I'm the winner here. But you're taking, does that make sense? I, I, that was helpful for me. But friends, we need to cultivate care for our marriages. Um, two books I'd recommend, This Momentary Marriage by Piper and When Sinners Say I Do. Two helpful books for you. And I'm sure there's another one in the library I'm not mentioning and I'm going to hear it from Rob and Paula and they say, that one was sitting right in the library. Why don't you recommend it? Sorry, guys. Now, if you're single, I'm just the singles here, Think carefully about who you marry because marriage is not a place where you escape from the world's problems. I don't mean to laugh about that, but marriage is a place where you find problems that you never knew existed. <laughs> Amen? Those that are married or been, yes? Absolutely. It's not the place, it's not for the faint of heart. Marriage is the place where you're going to find all kinds of problems. That's because you get two sinners saying I do, as it were. Now, to all of us who make up Wyoming Church of Christ, we must collectively encourage marriage amongst our congregation and friends. Those who are already married, we must encourage to be faithful to their marital bonds. Perhaps after this weekend, you may have a friend here in this church who grabs coffee with you, and they come to you in a time when they are prepared to end their relationship, to end their marriage with their spouses. And so they come and they're asking you for advice. That is a time where you can take an opportunity to refer them back to biblical principles and make sure they don't make a hasty decision. And listen, they trust you. They trust you. So look them in the eye, friend, with compassion, with love, and say this. Now let's think through this one more time. I know how you might feel right now. I know it seems over, but there's hope in the God who created marriage to, to keep yours. The Lord can still sustain that marriage. The reality of divorce is a very, very difficult, messy topic. It has tragic consequences. There's no one thing, as I said in the beginning, that can be said that will cover all systems and scenarios. Lots of variables out there. I get that. And some of you are ready to give it to me afterwards. That's fine. Come talk to me. Honestly, I'd love to talk with you. Because like I said, I can't, I can't possibly cover every scenario that's out there. Real life, though, 
we know this, throws up situations that were more messy and more difficult than maybe any of us have ever thought of. What might be right in one situation might be wrong in another. We need wisdom as we seek to navigate the effects of sin. Divorce is a serious matter and our marriages are wonderful places to show God at work in us. Let me wrap this whole thing up by reading a passage of scripture to you and then we'll pray. Ephesians 5. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Oh, Lord. What a heavy message. What a heavy passage. And I do ask that what I said today is true and right would stick. And Lord, if there are people here that are hurting because of past marriages, that this is sort of been like taking a band-aid off, Lord, I pray that they would run to you that they would remind themselves of the gospel that you made him who had no sin to be sin for us that in him we might become the righteousness of God Lord I pray that there's marriages here that are struggling that they'd be strengthened from some of the truth that's been spoke today Lord I pray for singles that are here give them sober thinking as they think about who to marry I pray for the rest of us that are married and we're in a decent marriage now. Would you remind us of the solemnity, the gravity of, of, of this covenant that we have made with our spouse? And Lord, may we be in a competition to outserve them. To, for your glory, we ask, Lord. We pray that if there are those that are feeling downcast and discouraged, Lord, we know that you heal up the brokenhearted. We pray that they wouldn't tried to navigate that on their own, but they would, this morning, during coffee, lean on their brothers and sisters, be vulnerable, talk, pray together. Lord, healing comes from nowhere else but from you. And Lord, you've displayed the greatest display of your glory here in the local church, as it's your body. 
So would you work, not just through this message now, but continue to work in our lives as we want to honor you with our bodies and our marriages and our thoughts. Help us, O Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.